you for tuning in to HUD Housewives of America. We are here. If any of you remember last week, um, if you tuned into our show last week, and forgive us for that black blackout post on Facebook last week, I had two cameras going and one camera was covering the next. So please forgive us. We'll, we'll probably remember some of these days in the early on stages of this podcast world. Um, but you're learning and growing at the same time. So please forgive me for that. We're trying to actually replace it. But I think there's something with Facebook. Once you already have a, what do you call it? Uh, uh, like views and stuff, it's just hard to separate. But either way, um, last week's podcast, we really launched the series, The HUD Housewives of America, right? And we had some ladies on. Um, in fact, I guess I have to text one of them right now because she should be on. Her and her man. Um like, where are the men? Everybody, you know, we had a couple that said that it was going to be on. The black men, the case of the invisible black men. This is what we're talking about. This is the show right here. Where you at? Let's see. Hello. I don't want to play everybody government out there. Let's see. Do you that? see um, a message from an Arnise, Raquel? Huh? You see a message from our niece. It says it's in. She said she put something in the chat. Can you yeah. see this? I can see it. Yes. So, um, here's what I know. Everybody, right now, your phones are muted. I think everybody outside of Monette. And I'll mute myself. Yeah, you can mute yourself. So everybody is muted until we actually bring you on. Just, just, just so that we don't have a lot of feedback, background noise when we're doing the podcast but if you have the link if you register i can see you you can use the chat feature we're using zoom and we're also streaming live in facebook um through can i live and through raquel's brilliant page um which is my personal facebook page and so let's go back to where we were last week some of you are still here from where we were last week we had a really intense conversation i thought it was a bit heavy because we were talking about what it means to be a HUD housewife of America. I know most of y'all might look at public housing and y'all think, okay, them, them rundown projects, then those, you know, them, them ghettos, that's where you die and get killed. That's them pissy elevators. That's some pissy hallways. And you don't really, we don't really get the opportunity to talk about how those things became those things. And for most of you guys who don't know, Can I Live, we're a National Public Housing Tennis Association. We got one big audacious goal, move a million moms off welfare. And so in order to do that, what we found out, I've been doing this work since 2009, so a decade. And I know that there are so many things that are happening right now in public housing through HUD that residents just don't know about. And so whether you know that HUD is relocating families across the United States and giving them vouchers and people can't find vouchers, people are losing their housing, affordable housing is a crisis. However, this series deems to highlight real live issues for real women, mostly women, and we do have some men that live in public housing. 
But before we get into the HUD housewives of America, because it sounds a little stereotypical, the notion is while public housing is home to majority single parent households, and while African-Americans make up 12% of the United States population, we make up almost 50% of all public housing. Let's, let's just make that clear. 12% of United States population, almost 50% of public housing population, which is over 2 million in public housing and close to 6, 7 million in Section 8. We're still almost 50% of both of those realms. And we're single. We're not married. Okay. Praise the Lord. I did get married like five years ago. Um, that was a, that's a whole nother webinar, whole nother series. Cause I had to become that, which I desired. That's a whole nother, no, whole nother thing. But when we see, see what I want you guys to do is first of all, don't cast no judgment on what you might hear today from women, from men, don't judge. Don't judge whether they got five baby daddies. Don't judge whether they got eight baby mamas. Don't judge if they choose to sell their coochie for, for money on the first. Don't judge if they choose to, you know, do a little something strange for some change. Don't judge. I'm going to tell you why. If you guys have ever heard of this guy, his name is Richard Rothstein. He wrote this book called The Color of Law. If you have not gotten this book, you should get it. If you call yourself a housing advocate, a housing leader, a resident leader, an affordable housing mouthpiece, you need to have this book. It actually, the, the slogan is um, a forgotten history of how the government segregated America. It goes as far, and I'll, I'll tell you, I think I got into two chapters. I kind of swam, swam around the book, but in two chapters, I just cried. Well, I cry all the time. Most of y'all are like, she'll cry, baby. <laughs> I'm tough and I'm hard, but I, I have a heart, damn it. And I hurt and I am very compassionate when I see that people just took power to such authority and abused it. Like who gave them the right to abuse power? Who gave you the right in God's earth to create such heinous, and, and, and obstruction to my way of life. Who gave you that right? Who told you that that was your right to have? And so in the color of law, it actually tells you how FHA, which was the Federal Housing Administration, which is now known as HUD, they literally had it in the laws, in their policies, in their regulations, where they would not lend to black people. So I want you to think World War II, I think all that we fought in the war, we came home from the war, over 1 million soldiers at home, black soldiers, 1 million black soldiers. And there was a housing shortage. And from the housing shortage, they said, okay, well, where are we gonna house these people? They created the FHA, the Federal Housing Administration. They put together this, this manual that basically said, if you live in black areas, it's red, it's risky, we're not going to lend. If you're in these yellows areas, that means you're too close to black. If you're in the green areas, that means you are the good neighborhoods, we'll lend. They went into cahoots with the government, with the private industry, with the banks, the insurance companies, the Veterans, Asso the Veterans Administration, 
and they pretty much closed the whole market down. And they said, black people cannot get mortgages. Now, most of these mortgages was underwritten and protected by the federal government. And so what they were saying is you could not get access to this federally funded loan. They also gave money to big developers, private developers to build housing, housing that blacks could not get access to. And back then public housing actually was white and it had great amenities. And what was happening is they wanted to keep us segregated, separated. So we were overrunning these slums, these huts, the over, you know, we were just crammed in these apartments. Now I see why most people say, well, why can't we like the Spanish people just huddle up? We done did that already. We ain't doing that again. So here we are in these slums, white people got access to housing, white people got access to mortgages, white people got access, they started to give the GI bills for the veterans, the white veterans, they can move to Long Island, Levittown, and all of these other places, they was able to move over there and get these mortgages and these loans. And in some cases, the white folks were subsidized, meaning we're going to pay you to move from the public housing into the suburbs, we'll pay you, we'll give you a voucher. And it wasn't until civil rights leaders back then, I believe in the 1960s, felt like it was unfair to give white people vouchers without giving black people vouchers. So the whole Section 8 public housing subsidy came in as a means to try to make it fair because white people were getting the subsidies. And what we believe here is that there are subsidies. At first of all, everybody's on welfare, number one. There's just government subsidies and government um, entitlement programs that aid in white people's prosperity and it keeps us poor. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting carried away. Oh my God, I'm choking. So I had to get, ooh, I got so excited. I was just like angry at the same time. Wait, let me calm down. Let me breathe because when it's one thing for you to know it and it's another thing for you to think it and surmise it. But when the government goes on record and say, yeah, we did that. We redlined, we blocked, we did all of that. We prevented you from doing all of that stuff. And then the way public housing came into play, once all the white people started moving out of public housing, the black segregated public housing was, they had long waiting lists. And it looked really conspicuous and like, really, y'all gonna do that? We don't have no housing. We're homeless, sleeping in the streets, sleeping with each other, sleeping in the gutters in the in the streets with, you know, just slum sh shanties. And there's vacant units in the public housing for white folks. And so that's when they started to say, okay, let's just open the door. And that's when all the white people started moving out. They got their little vouchers. They got their subsidies. They started moving to, what, Levittown, Long Island. And all the black people just started. They just started to cram black people in to what we know as public housing today. Now, keep in mind, if they locked us out of, come on now, I feel Lord. I feel the Lord. If they locked us out of housing, what else did they lock us out of? Because you know you could not get access to certain jobs where that means you didn't even have access to certain types of monies, certain types of income. 
Now, thank God there were so many people that still made their way prosperous. But even with the same amount of money that white folks had, we didn't have the same opportunity. So finally, they said, well, public housing would be used for the poor, poorest of the poor. If you had income that would go above what that state's income guidelines was, you couldn't get into public housing. And then that's when the subsidies kicked in. And that's how now you have poor people, little education, little to no education on the most part, single, running, having children. And guess what? Let me backtrack. When it was white public housing, you could not move into white public housing back then if you was not married, one. Two, you could not move in if you did not, um, if you had children out of wedlock, if your children was misbehaved, they didn't play that nonsense, okay? So they had a very, very tight checklist on how you would qualify for public housing. So all of that to say, don't judge. Don't you judge what you see today. I understand if you look at these buildings and I believe after 1975 or something, they just stopped building high rises. So you're never gonna see another big old New York City Housing Authority, Chicago Housing Authority, Cabrini Green, those kind of things. You're, even though that's gone, you're never gonna see those high rises come out like that again. So concentrated poverty, lack of economic, <clears throat> Jesus Christ. Y'all laughing. <clears throat> Lack of economic opportunities. No wonder we are a war zone. No wonder they are filled, public housing communities are filled uh, with trap houses. No wonder. Because it was orchestrated. And so I say, keep your subsidy. Do not be ashamed of your subsidy. That's like your little reparations, but you better know how to pimp out that reparation. Make it a reparation. Don't make it a handicap. Don't make it a crutch. Don't make it your whole, like that's your legacy. Come up on that thing. And we'll give you some highlights on what and how do you come up on this plan in public housing? Because I'm gonna promise you, just as though it was the setup for it and the rig is rigged from the beginning, there also is some powerful, powerful programs in public housing that residents don't even know about and they don't even use. And so we got um, a guest here from the Jacksonville Housing Authority. Shout out to the Jacksonville Housing Authority. Shout out to Rhonda Lattimore. She runs the resident services department out there. You got to have a vision for resident services. You know what I'm saying? You got to have a heart and you have to have compassion for people. And I have seen many, many times where resident services, the reason why if you live in a public housing and you don't have access and you don't really know about what's happening and you can say, listen, I lived here for 20 years and I really don't know and I never heard, it's because that person, well, it's not just because there's no vision for resident services. Some of that could be your fault too because you ain't paying attention. However, because when you want to do something, you do it. You get your good foot on and you get it done. No excuses. So I'm not even going to say it's, it's like all of their fault, but it is some of their fault too, because they just don't have a person that understands what this life is about and to set you guys up with the proper resources to help mitigate the barriers that you're going to face. So I had to preface that because if the old ladies got to sell their coochie on the first to get dough, if the old men out there want to get their little jammy suck because they selling their pills because they lonely, don't judge. Promise you don't judge. And, 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 and it's happening. And that's not even a new thing. That's like a real old thing. 
is happening. And so last week when we talked about it, the ladies was like, yo, I'm ashamed of my apartment. I'm ashamed of where I live. I'm, I'm ashamed of, you know, bringing a man here. If I brought a man here, I probably wouldn't. And I want to say to that young lady that was on the call last week, she's beautiful, mind you, gorgeous. I'm like, honey, you can get probably anything you want, number one. But maybe the hood ain't checking for like, what's his name? Raymond from Wall Street. But Ray Ray from around the block and them, you can find them all day. And what they like, listen, I don't want Ray Ray. Ray Ray, Ray ignorant as hell. I don't want him. However, some people like Ray Ray. And Ray Ray is in the, in the crib. I'm not saying he's selling drugs. He might be tearing up shit in the neighborhood because he don't, he don't got no access to opportunity either. And I know that some of these men are living in the houses. Now, I'm not the damn social service police. I'm not coming to your house and want to look through and under your damn beds like they did back in the day on welfare. I'm not doing that. All I'm saying is, yo, it's real not cool to live in a house. You want this man to be a man, but you don't want to put him on your lease. Uh-oh. I, I think I done said something right there. You want him to be your man, but you don't want to put him on your lease. Why? Because y'all not married. Okay. Then why he living there? Why you, why you doing that? But then you got some men who do live in the property, not on the lease. And then it's like, they say that that woman just exerts so much control and could put them out at the drop of a hat. I'm trying to find out where the men at. Wait a minute, Monette. Could you text them? Bill is on a commute. I don't use this government. I'm gonna take Billy. Billy is on a commute. Um, and I don't know where, where's, I got to use fake names because I don't want to use real people names. But we had like two men set up. I'm going to open the lines in a minute just to kind of see where they at, the case of the invisible man, and, and kind of just say, okay, what's, what's that about? Let me see who we got in here. Let's bring up, I'm going to allow you guys to talk. You can mute your phones. Mute your phones, but if you want to talk, like raise your hand so I can unmute you. I see all of you guys are muted. So um, Misha, what you got to say? You got something to say? Tommy, you got something to say? Arnise, you got something to say? I think I could only let like a few people on at a time. Hi, Rocky. Hi. Hey, Tommy. <laughs> How you doing? Hi. I'm good. <laughs> what's what's our topic again? Uh-uh, Tommy. You're the one who created the topic. No, I didn't. Okay. Invisible man. Invisible yes. man. Invisible black man. Oh, yeah. I remember from last yeah, week. Yeah, you was the one who were like, you said that. Now, you got to have to refresh my memory because I remember you said something like, you wouldn't even I, tell a man was, where you lived. Yeah, I would. Yeah, um, uh, I said a a good, very good friend of mine told me that I would never have a man as long as I'm living 
here in public housing. And he told me that a couple of years ago, and, and, and it's always been in the back of my mind. Um, was I don't, he somebody that you was interested in? No, no, just a, a good friend, a good male friend, a very successful white collar, mm-hmm. uh, black male, successful with his own business, his own home, two cars, white collar, federal government, you know, not my, he's not my type, but he's just a good friend. And um, not your type. And, what and, is your and, type? And, yeah, and I trust his opinion, and I really trust and value his opinion. And I don't, I don't invite men to my home. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit ashamed, you know. Um, I, I don't. So if I don't, somebody said if a man asks you, you know, you know, y'all getting into the conversation or whatever, and he says, you know, where do you live? What would you tell him? Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill. Sure enough, that's where I live at, Capitol Hill. And then where I live is. I don't like telling men where I live at. I'm no, because I'm ashamed. I'm really ashamed of it. You know, um, I, I wouldn't, and even if I did have a man, I wouldn't dare invite him to live in my home. When you, if we're if we're a, a committed couple, then you take me out of here. Hmm. So then, let me ask you this. Let's play. I'm not going to play at the devil's advocate, but I'm going to ask a question. So would a man, because I, I, I can't even believe where, where are the men? I'm so like done right now. Um, somebody said, good answer, Tommy. That's what I tell people when they ask me where I live. I say Capitol Hill. So yeah. y'all ain't bringing no men to your house. No, because I, oh. I, I, I feel, and it might be because of some past trauma also. You know what I mean? Um, um, I'd rather not talk about that part right now, because again, because it's trauma and it's I still experience some of the pain, you know, but um, yeah. it's bad, bad memories. But I don't even like being here myself because it's this is like to me is living in hell. You know, I don't even want to be here. I even hate to come home sometimes. I even I hate the fence. The commissioner, the housing commissioner who also lives here, she loves the fence. You know, when you then you stay here and be happy and joyous and carefree. I don't, I can't stand it. I hate when the Europeans, when they're out walking their dogs and walking their children down the street, how they're looking at us. I feel like I feel like a animal in a cage. You know, when I when when I when um we used to have before DCHA had this. Um, present security force we had the um the nation of islam here they were the most courteous kind gentlemen you would ever want to meet they would help the women when we're coming home from the safely help with our bags ma'am miss you know what i mean these guys they got here uh, they, they ain't no good you know um it, it, but that's a lot what you said when you said um you just said that I, I am not going to lie. When I was coming out of the struggle, it would be something about when white folks was walking them goddamn dogs and they frolicked. There was this word I would use like frolic. Like these chicks, they have a freaking care in the world. And I always envied that because I wanted to know what that felt like. What does it feel like to have all your bills paid by your husband? Ooh. 
you know, what does it feel like to be able to just go get coffee and not think about anything financial? Yeah. What does that feel like? Like, I feel like we're always burdened and pressured on so many fronts about money. And it's a pressure that I'm going to be honest with you, sweetie, you work every day. All of us, we work so hard, but it's not, there is a system. There is a real enemy out against us. And we have to start to look to see who is that enemy so we don't internalize it and think it's our fault. Because how many of us will internalize that? We do. We think it's us. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not light enough. I'm not white enough. I'm not fat enough. Or, you know, I'm not skinny. You know, whatever. I'm not enough, period. And that starts to show on our habits. You know, whether that's why you see a lot of poor women who live in public housing, obesity is like through the freaking roof. That's a real thing. Depression, mental health. Kids is not getting the attention they need because we trying to, you know, it's like, don't push me. I'm close to the edge. Trying not to lose my mind here. Yeah. And I don't know. And I know for sure that if we are feeling that way, I'm going to give one to the brothers right now, even though they asses ain't on this line. If we feel like that, the men got to feel 10 times worse because we got, we got the access to the housing, to the Medicaid, to the food stamp, to the childcare, to all the systems, the social service systems, that's ours. Uncle Sam would freely give that to us. Now, maybe the men were just so damn embarrassed or they just forgot, or they just so preoccupied. Yeah, and and then you have that group of men who, like I've seen it happen here several times, like say they they get they get evicted the family a particular family gets evicted and they have you know the sons are now grown so what they do is they um they're so connected to to the community because they've been here all their lives so they find a young lady who's single they impregnate her and they move into her house so they can keep a home you know and keep that connection to family you know I, I see a lot of that here you think these men are intentionally going out getting women pregnant just so that they have a roof over their heads? Not all. I only I've seen some here. Only a few. Mm. Only a few. So it it does happen. And 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 in their minds and in their defense, that's 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 pretty sharp. If you if you if I mean it's a survival skill for them. You know what I mean? It, <clears throat> it's, it's it's not fair to the female, but that's that's all that's all the thing they knew how to do because they still not working. They living off the female, and that's another thing too. If I let a man move into my house, I'm not gonna I'm gonna be the head of household. I'm gonna be bossing him around. Why? Because I, this is this this where I live. This is my house, even though it's not mine, belongs to the federal government. But I'm gonna feel so manly. You know, a man to me, a man should not move in with a woman in public housing. You know, if they're married, that's fine. That's a, that's a whole nother animal. But single shacking up, just having having sexual relations, no, you can't you can't come stay with me. No. Now this is what I want to do. <clears throat> I do want to challenge the thought just a little bit because after reading again my new favorite book, The Color of Law. I really did get 
because in the experience growing up with the poverty, with what you see, you don't like it. It doesn't feel good. But America has done something very, very well when they are the ones responsible for creating this thing. They have done something that shamed us. Like, don't you, who the hell, I wish I could go back to the person who created that narrative where you're going to shame us for the subsidy that the government gave us when they was giving your tails the subsidies forever, but it aided in your prosperity. But then you're going to make us feel ashamed. So I say, I say, listen, you at homeboy, and if uh, I pray that the men listen to this podcast, find a wife. I don't care where she lives. If she lives in public housing, both of y'all need to be up in there and lay and, and stack. And when I say stack, you got somebody paying a large percentage of your rent. If you only paying 30, that means Uncle Sam is paying 70. And while that is happening, me and my husband, we're about to come up. Whether we're going to open up a small business, whether we're going to join a family self-sufficiency program, whether we're going to make sure we move into, whether we're going to take our voucher and purchase our house for it. These, these programs, like you could purchase a house with your voucher. You could, in certain cases, some of these scenarios, um, we'll talk with, with Jacksonville later, they got this new Jobs Plus program. It's just like the FSS. And if anybody don't ever know what the FSS program is, it's a program that actually will allow you, if you move in and your rent is zero, you go get a job, your rent goes up to 500, that full amount goes into an escrow account. And you can save that money for up to five years and sometimes get a two-year extension. Nowhere in the world, nowhere in the world, again, nowhere in the world is there one program that will take your whole rent check and save it for you for like seven years. Nowhere. That's number one. Number two, with this Jobs Plus program, they even have it where if that agency received Job Plus funding for typically it's a community, they will not count your income for like four years. So this is the opportunity for us. Okay, maybe, I'm just going to say possibly, you know, these programs was created because of the wrongdoing that they have done but the fact that they don't heavily promote it, housing authorities can choose to opt in if they want to. Every housing authority in the United States should offer the home ownership program, but they don't. But residents don't even ask for it. It's because we so much in our stuff. And so I would say, don't feel bad about the freaking subsidy. White people get it all the time. They get mortgage deductions, mortgage credits, they can write off hell. Trump, how, how you think billionaires, first of all, how you think billionaires and people like Trump don't pay no taxes? They get the same subsidy. It's just that they use it to enhance their prosperity. And the, the subsidy we get, we don't know how to work around it. And it keeps us poor, depressed, and, and, and just in poverty. But, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I just would not I just, if, if I could allow you just to change it, because on one hand, you have black men who really, how many people you know right now, if the shoe was on the other foot, and let's say he was the one that got the subsidy, and where are the women? And let's say he got the housing, he got the Medicaid, he got the food stamps, he got the childcare voucher, he got it all. 
Could we, with in our present situation, could we really take care of him, knowing that Uncle Sam has provided all of that for him? We couldn't compete ourselves. And so I just think it's not fair to hold the black man or any man to a to a standard that we could not even feel fit ourselves. I think that's fair. Like you want to hold this man to a standard that you not even living yourself. That's not right. And I think that, and that's not, I'm not saying this to you, Tommy. I'm saying it to all black women out there. If you guys find a good, decent man, you know what I'm saying? Like work it. Don't use the subsidy as to yield control and power. Because if we didn't have it, our asses would probably be homeless somewhere. Not being or living somewhere else, not living where we're living. And um, I went to Jacksonville like last week. Honey, them folks out there, uh, they, they live nice. So everybody public housing stuff is, is not jacked up. And everybody's Section 8 stuff ain't jacked up either. It does depend where you live. Because I was in a house and I was like, dang, this was just beautiful. And it was Section 8. So there's a lot of people who do enjoy the comforts of a beautiful home on Section 8, but don't live on Section 8 forever and not get your game plan. Like that is not the lamp-free card. That is not the lay low, let them take care. No, that's your that's your blessing. And you we should be utilizing it. I don't think we do. What do you think, Arnise? Hey, Raquel. Well, hey. I, how's everyone doing this evening? I, I think that I, I had to listen to my mom. My mom always told me that God bless the child that has his own. So with that being said, I learned how to be independent and self-sufficient even with being on the program. Um, I've actually been on the program now for 10 years and this is how long it's taken me to actually see some light. Yeah. But in the meantime, I actually went back to school. Um, back in 2012, I was in a bad car accident. I was working, I've always worked uh, since I've been on section eight. But I will always get part-time jobs um, where the employers like me, so they would give me full-time hours, but I always work part-time positions just to be able to afford housing so that I can take care of my family effectively. But I got to a point in my life where I say enough is enough. My mother always said, God bless the child that has his own. So let me get out here and beat the pavement and see what I can make happen. Well, I know I take no credit for what I do because God is the head of my life. And I've learned that with God, all things are possible. Amen. So with that being said, I'm to a point so in let me my ask life you this. Where Are you married? Do you feel, do you, do you share the sentiments of Tommy where she says she's ashamed of where she lives? She wouldn't bring a man to her house and or the sentiments that says, I'm not moving a man in my house and I'm on subsidy. He would have to move me off and out. Well, 
Well, I am married. Um, I wasn't married at first. I got married while I was on the program. And my husband and I were both basically on the same level, uh, with the exception of him not having his education, but he has the intelligence and he's pretty much a go-getter. But um, I think- You didn't have, so was that, that wasn't a thing for you. So that wasn't a, a thing for no. you. That wasn't a thing for you. No, it wasn't. It wasn't because I decided, whoever, whoever decided to step up to the plate anyway, I, I feel that we would grow together. That's the bottom line. You don't want to never get in a relationship where the person is already self-made and you got to catch up. You want to grow together. So if you go looking in the wrong places, looking for love in the wrong places, you will find it and it can be a disaster. So in my mate, I looked for somebody who I felt that we were pretty much compatible and on the same level which I am on a higher level than he is because I have my education. I'm a veteran. I was a weekend warrior for nine years. So that kind of put me ahead of the game in some aspects, but I still had to crawl before I walked. If he heard you say that, he probably, would he get upset? Uh, no, he wouldn't because like I said, we, when we started courting, we had discussions and we shared the same views and we both wanted the same things I like. And it just takes a while to get to that point, but you have to strive for excellence. You, nothing's gonna fall out of the sky. You gotta go for what you want. You have to set goals and they're not as easy as you think but when you take the first step, God will do the rest. But you got to take that initial step for yourself. And that's, that's what I found out that I had to do. And um, being on a housing program, it, it has been frustrating because you can't really live your life effectively. Like you look at other people and you say, wow, how come they got this nice home and they got this nice car and this and that? Well. Furthering your education is a plus and it's a must. And if I wouldn't have furthered my education, I wouldn't be in a position that I'm in now. Working at working at the Jacksonville Housing Authority. And you're about to use your voucher to purchase your home, right? Well, no, actually, actually, um, when I got into the program, I started off. Um, well, I got into the FSS program, but when I got in, I was already at a level where I was making mm. a certain amount of money Yeah, that it, it was, it was short lived. It was short lived. Yeah. So yeah. I FMR quick, quickly, um, after like a year and now I'm at the end of my rope. So, um, so you have, but you have the section eight voucher, right? I do. I have the voucher, but I didn't qualify for the, the home ownership piece because I hit FMR, fair market rent. I hit that so fast with my new position mm. as a full-time employee that now I'm in a position where I'm getting off the program. Outside. Okay. And so, so what, 
that's interesting because then what she's saying mm-hmm. is has she known what she know now has she used it five years ago her her scenario could be, have been much different because yes. she came into the program already elevated at an income it didn't allow her to really cake or leverage i would say um so for all of you guys that are in housing if your rent is zero join an fss program if they have a waiting list go to school and increase your ability to earn more so that when your name does come up on the fss list then you're you know once you join the program your rent is zero once you get your first job even if your rent goes up to like $800, all of that can be banked. And what Arnise was saying yeah. is that by the time she joined, she was already paying a lot in rent anyway. So let's yeah. say if Arnise was, when she joined the FSS, she was already paying like $800. And then she got a little couple more dollars and now her rent goes up to $1,200. But let's say her voucher is only $1,250. So they'll escrow that small amount of money, but she can't go on any higher without now making more than what the voucher can pay. And so that's when she says fair market value that she's now like paying fair market rent in her area. And so that's a good, to me, it's still a win. It's still a success story um, because you can only go up from here. I think a lot of times I've heard and I know that we keep that voucher because we're afraid. And we, a lot of us say, well, what happens if I lose my job? Yeah. What will happen if something happened to me? I don't have anything to fall back on. And so we use the voucher as for this false sense of security, not really understanding that it really kind of keeps us poor. Because if I'm not mistaken, I think I heard our niece also say that while she was given full-time hours, she had to still kind of work part-time just so that she could make sure she still qualified for the program because she wasn't really ready to just totally let it go. And that's another thing. You don't just let vouchers go because you make more money. You got to have a whole entire game plan when you got these subsidies. And that just goes back to you, Tommy. I know, but I can see, put like this, it's to each his own. I can see where Tommy's like, listen, I don't want this. And my man, he going to have to come in and take me out of it. And the only thing that I'm going to say is if you were looking for your man to take you out of it, you probably going to have to be out of it first to attract the man to take you out of it. Because even though that doesn't sound like that matches, I got to create what I want. If I want a man to be well off and able to take care of me, I need to be able to take care of me and I need to be able to take care of him should he lose his job. Yes, ma'am. That's a that's yes, a ma'am. real that's a real thing back and forth. So yes. I want to be financially free or financially able to where if my man ever got out here, God forbid, something happened, he could depend on me to hold it down. And I just think that the whole notion and the ideas of in the perspective, the mindset that, yes, the man is supposed to do certain things. First of all, that's a narrative that white America taught us because that's what white America and white men do for their wives and their wives is at home, <laughs> popping 
pills and shit because they asked us is the price. Excuse my language. Oh Lord. Forgive <laughs> me. You know what I'm saying? Because you ain't got value. You ain't got purpose. You ain't got destiny. You don't know God. You can't hear God. That ain't it. I don't care who working. Your man could be working all day, making all this money. He out here running in and out, running about. You home with them crazy kids beating on your ass. That ain't it. And so I'm not aspiring to be that. I thank God for my journey, though it was hella hard. I, I grew to know him and I will never take that away. And I pray for all the housewives, whether you got a rich husband, I pray that you find purpose. I don't care who your husband is. Just find purpose, find God, find happiness. Life is more than shopping and shopping sprees and buying shit online. Life is more, you know what I'm saying? Like this, it's connection. It's, it's, it's being purposeful and strategic and intentional about your life knowing that there's mad stuff to do out here hello did you turn the news on it, it's like everything is going to hell in a handbasket everything is it's things for us to do you got you are prescription for the earth you you will have a place to fix start fixing it like get busy fixing it damn a subsidy if you find your man um Tommy, you you know, I'm like, listen, yeah, I live at blah, blah, blah. He might not want to come because he's scared me. He might get shot. But hell, I ain't living in no place. I'm going to get shot. How about that? <laughs> How about that? And sometimes it's jumping out on crazy faith. You'd be surprised how much faith is a currency. Now, I don't want some of y'all going to relinquish your vouchers talking about, I believe, I believe. <laughs> don't do that. Don't say, I listen to the podcast and I believe and then your ass homeless now. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't Can I say me. one thing? Go ahead. Um, you know, in life, everything, this is what we all have to know about life. Everything begins and ends with self. We, we have to take accountability for where we need to be in life. You cannot look to others for your happiness. You can't look to others to take care of you. God gave all of us a purpose in life and we have to fulfill our purpose because if we had no purpose, we would not be here. So with that being said, yes, I do have a husband and we have worked together, but I'm still on a higher level than he is, but I'm willing, I've, I've been so patient and I'm anxious to see what the next chapter holds. And one thing that I know about life is that when you have subtractors in your life, you can't elevate. So you have to clear the cobwebs and get rid of the subtractors. When God removes somebody from your life, it's for a purpose. It hurts sometimes, but you got to let them go because God is trying to elevate you to the next level, to your own higher level. Because we all have levels, higher levels of consciousness that we have to reach in order to get 
what we need in life and to be successful. And it, and it can be done. It can be I, done. I remember, and I'm Miss Green. Um, I remember there was two Section 8 vouchers I turned down and two public housing tenancies I turned down. Now, this was before I knew anything about purchasing a house with the voucher. I didn't know nothing about public housing, but I just, I guess maybe, and I want, and trust me, years later, I could have kicked myself because I was like, are you telling me that I could have had a voucher? I could have, I could have did this thing so differently. I didn't have to struggle. You, you don't know what it's like. I mean, and, and, I ran my own business, meaning you had to make your own money. Making your own money, raising four kids in market rate, that was like, you know, you better know God. You better. Um, that was just really hard. And there was many times I just could have kicked myself for not, I didn't know. And I don't know if it was pride. I don't know. I know I would always go into the office and before I would go to the caseworker, I would just say, Lord, if I don't need this, I would rather give my voucher to another mom who really needed it. And because I was already using like my student loan money, my financial aid, tap, hell, all of that stuff, I was using it and my rent was paid, you know, six months at a time. And that's, I used that money to survive. So I didn't have to think about the, the rent. But then later on, once all the money was over and you have to pay market rate, you be like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, that might be okay. That might have been okay. Because I know how to leverage now. So, you know, I don't know. Who's that? Um, H.M. Green, who's that? Harriet. Hey, Harriet. Hey. How you doing? Fine, and you? You got a good story. I remember. <laughs> You got a good story. You, you'd be surprised. I think of you often with your story and I just wish more women would do that kind of stuff. Share. Well, um, my, my journey with housing wasn't something that I had to do, but I wanted to, I basically jumped out of my house without jumping away from a problem and jumped into being homeless and then having children and having to take care of them, going from place to place that I started moving my sons every two years. And I've jumped in housing and got tired of it and been running my life and ruling me. So then I got out of it and didn't have nowhere to live again. And then I found myself losing my baby and ended up back in housing again. So now I'm on a different thing. Um, as Raquel said, the FSS program is a good program. Um, I've worked my five years and I've come upon my graduation date this year, but I have to submit my little essay and all of my NACA paperwork because I started working on the NACA program to get a um, mortgage loan nice. to get a house. Um, you do stumble across some things like you can find yourself touching a Section 8 voucher, and for whatever reason, you go from being in the hundreds to 1,558 again and can't figure out how you got there. And housing don't explain stuff. They just basically say, oh, well, that's what happened, but they don't really come out and tell you 
once you're in housing and you have signed up for all the multiple programs, your name stops moving on the list for other programs when you're already inside one of their placements. Mm. So people there's, who don't have it. Something, um, hmm? I remember the story. Um, I remember the story that you shared. Um, you had needed childcare one yeah. time. And they told you that in order to take your, in order to receive this childcare subsidy, you had to take your son's or your children's father's father to court. Yes, I refused. And you refused to take him to court. Um, why up. would you, why would you, well, to break up a family, this is what's done. And that's how they get all the black men, you know, out of the black woman's life and make them struggle and stay uh, dependent on the system is they told everyone that for you to get your voucher for your children to stay in childcare so you can work, you had to take the fathers to court. My children's father, um, we take care of our kids together. I felt no need to take him for child support so I can get a voucher so we can survive and we live in separate homes. That's, I just feel some type of way for women to do something like that. If the man is paying, why would you down him and berate him and take all of his money when he's doing everything he can do already? Now, well, y'all, y'all wasn't even like together in a relationship, were y'all? We were, we were off and on in the beginning. Okay. So um, we've been, we was dabbling around for like maybe I would say 15 years off and on. And then we had the three children and we're strong now. We live in separate homes, but we're still strong with our relationship. We do depend just to say that we're going to get married, you know, but we are still looking at that. It's been set going on 17 years. Wow. So um, again, we both came into the relationship with three children apiece and we had three children and our daughter passed away in childbirth. Um, so that's what kind of turned our tables. But again, I, I say to all women, you know, I was a mom with three children in the program in the first place and I was getting child support for my children. And I had friends who were walking around, hair done, nails done, bags and kids looking shabby. I never did that. I allotted my children bank accounts and their child support went into their bank account and they chose to spend the money they the way that they wanted to and the way I said, okay, you want clothes? Well, this has to stay. Um, I always felt that the man wasn't taking care of me. I had a job, I was taking care of myself and his money really went to his children. Hold on, I got to get the applause for this one here. <laughs> you get the applause uh harriet i promise you because not a lot of women will do that not a lot of women women and for that voucher that child care voucher you y'all wasn't even married and you was like listen i'm not going to kick you when you down i'm not going to hold no. you down like that i'm not i will turn down the child care we just have to revamp and work something out but I'm not going to take you to court like this system wants me to take you to child support court in exchange for this voucher. Like kudos for you. And I wish, and I pray whatever it took for you to do that and, and, and clap that man up because for him to even warrant that type of compassion and respect, he has to be a good man. 
Now, some fools, there's some fools out there. I'm so glad I got, oh, we got a black man, y'all. Black man on deck. <laughs> Lashadian. Now, this is not an average black man. Let me just tell you about Lashadian because I'm going to give it over to him in a second. Lashadian, and he can tell you more. I know Lashadian is a dad, and I know Lashadian got a couple of kids, if not more than a couple, but he's a father. And he he could tell you his story. He ran for city council. I met him and he told me, he was like, I'm gonna run for city council. And I was like, where are you going? I was trying to get him to run for a little presidency in the housing authority type thing. He was like, I'm gonna run for city council. And I was like, you should do that. you know. And just being there and supporting him in faith and just being in agreement. Yo, he won and he's in Texas. And he is taking Texas by storm. And I know he's doing some awesome things down there in Texas. But thank you, Lashadian, for, for coming on. Tell me what kind of good trouble you starting out, out there. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, hey. Just uh, blessings to be here. You know me, I'm, I'm, I'm 10 toes down and in it. So uh, fighting for equity for our people. Uh, just really fighting to be an example. The same thing I was doing at the housing authority, um, leading by example, showing people that we are not uh, determined by our circumstances. That we. So can you're not there no more. So, you left. Yes, I'm Amen. not in the housing authority. Anymore. Yay! But now you can tell us what your experience was like as a black man, because we got some women on here that said, you know, they were ashamed of where they live. They won't bring a man to their house. The man got to have more. And you were, were you a single dad? Are you single dad? Yes. You were. Okay. Yes. I'm seeing a lot more single dads <clears throat> now than before. I, I don't know what, I guess women's like, you know what? This mother stuff is, is overrated. You can have the kids. Um, how many children you have? Your mommy asking. I got 13 children. What? Oh! 13. My Let's say it in. Yes, ma'am. Hold on. Goodness. I got to get my sound effects. Because you, I know you had, I thought you had five, but I wasn't going to put five on you. I knew you had a lot, but I wasn't going to go that much. Um, but you got to wait, because hold on. I got to play this. So how many kids you got again? 13. Yes, yes, yes. Crickets. Okay, so talk to us about your 13 beautiful children because you are father to them all. I know you are. I am. Now, did you have more since we met? It's been like, what, eight years? <laughs> my babies are, um, you know, my junior, he's, uh, he's two years old and my daughter. So um probably since we met no i probably had three little ones since we met okay yep but wow i don't know if my, i don't know if my baby boy was 13? born my, no i have six at home you know and uh my okay, other kids are you know with them they're with them they're with their moms but you know you is one dangerous brother yeah you breathe on somebody and they probably yeah yeah all this chocolate <laughs> oh my god so okay so what i know about lashady and lashady you could correct me you wasn't public housing you was a single dad 
you took care of your kids, you took advantage of because you had a bomb public housing leader. Um, shout out, um, Miss Rosalind Miller. Miss Rosalind Miller, blessings. I was about to say because I said Rhonda Lattimore earlier. Miss Rosalind Miller's bomb, and she's one of those, you know, definitely believe in resident services, residents given opportunities. She's at the helm of the McKinney Housing Authority. Shout out to McKinney. But they gave you a huge opportunity. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so actually, you know, I was a um, single father, uh, homeless with my son at first, uh, sleeping uh, on my grandmother's floor for a minute. And I couldn't, I couldn't get a place to live. Like, like most men, there are not opportunities for us. Um, shelters won't typically take us in. Um, and, and then also, you know, I had a, I had a background as most, uh, a lot of young black men do. And so it was extremely hard for housing, but, um, you know, Miss Miller opened up a door for me and just being who she is as a strong black woman, um, giving opportunities to young men, um, and just the way that she runs her program and giving other strong black women, uh, opportunities to work for her. They opened up the doors and gave me an opportunity. So I filed an appeal after being denied for housing. I filed an appeal mm. and the residents let me tell my story and they gave me a shot. But it didn't come with it didn't come without strings attached. Obviously, Miss Miller uh, had some idea of what she wanted with me being given an opportunity to live there. She wanted me to be engaged as a resident and I became the resident council president. And um, that was her whole mission was to get me engaged, to get other residents engaged. And I jumped in and I took every training opportunity that the housing authority gave me. And I became a section three uh, business. Uh, the federal government says that if you're low income and then you have first dibs to any federal contracts as far as job opportunities go. And so I took all the trainings and I started creating job opportunities for myself and other people in my community but that was all under the tutelage and guidance of uh, Ms. Miller. So you do you still run that business now, the inspections? So I, I transitioned and, and let another, um, an, another uh, Section 3 business owner take over that because, you know, I have other businesses. So um, I didn't need to hold on to that. I let somebody else become self-sufficient uh, by running that business. Really? So, but it's still your business or you like sold it or gave it away or? No, I just let them create another, their own business and I step wow. back and, and let them have the contract. Isn't that something awesome? Yeah. So you had contracts. Did you feel any shame with being in public housing as a black man? Um, you know, I didn't necessarily feel shame. I just, I knew it. we had an opportunity to fight. Actually, our, our housing authority was like 50 years old. Mm -hmm. We didn't have washer and dryer units um, just because, you know, 50 years ago, they didn't have that in their homes. So we still had to hang our clothes on the line out back. So, you know, there was a stigma to living there, but I knew that that was just an opportunity for me to fight. And so actually two of those units we have now had redeveloped since I've been on council and they're brand new. And so everyone this year has brand new houses with brand new appliances and brand new everything because that was our desire to fight and, and, and change that. So you are officially a councilman. How has those doors opened? Like, how has that been a game changer? 
um, you know, it was the same thing I was doing at the, you know, at the housing authority representing for people of my community. Now I just get to do it on a, on a bigger scale, but I think, you know, the housing authority set me up for that opportunity, gave me training, gave me my voice, um, but it gave me a passion for people. Um, and, uh, that's ultimately what we need is to be able to be a voice. It gave me a passion and more so it gave me an opportunity to show people, especially young people, children who don't, children who don't have a say in where they grow up. It is not their fault that they're growing up in the projects, growing up in the housing authority. They don't get to determine who their parents are or what their social economic status is. But it gave me an opportunity to create businesses, to create mentor programs, but to show them that it doesn't matter where you live at or where you start from. I ran my campaign from the projects I know and I did. won. I was about I to tell you. So I was like, my next question was, and we got another person who has, has a question. My next question was, I know you ran your campaign and got everybody in your housing authority to vote for you. Right. And that's how I, you won the election. I ran my campaign and, and more so than to get them to vote for me. I wanted to inspire them that they can be whatever they want to be, no matter where they start out at. And that I know when they, you are not they were excited. They were like, now nah, they like, I did that. I, I know him. I did that. You know, he's, you know, that, that's, a, that's empowering. I mean, you have one of, I, I meet so many empowering um, stories, but I always, I am always just like, when I need motivation, I tap in to you guys stories because that, that just motivates me. Now your so story was motivating. Times? Amen. Amen. Yeah, How many your times? Your story was motivating, ma'am. I, I think the most motivating part, you know, I, I went to all the trainings, including the Can I Live training, the Million Moms Off Welfare training. I saw you. I, I have your book and get your hands out of my pocket and, and all of those things, you know, mm -hmm. so I don't take any of that for granted. The most inspiring thing wasn't the fact it was when I was mentoring the kids and I had a yard sign with my name on it in yards of people. And the kids said, oh, my goodness, look at look at that. That's, you know, that's our neighbor. His his name is in somebody's yard. And I went back and created those children their own yard signs. You know, mm -hmm. if they wanted to be nurses growing up, I created them yard signs that said future nurse. If they wow. wanted to be police officers, I created yard signs that said future chief of police. I wanted them to dream big, whatever their dreams were. If they said my son, he was five years old. He said he wanted to be a construction worker. I said, why? He said, because I want to build things. I said, okay, well, you want to be an architect. So I created him a yard sign that said future architect. And so how much more empowering is it to show these kids that they can be whatever it is that they want to be and then put yard signs and inspire them to reach and achieve their goals. And so your story was empowering. Your story was inspiring. And I wanted to give that back to all the children in, in my community that I could. Hey, Amen. Well, everybody know I'm, I'm crying, so... I got to Don't be a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a crybaby. Oh God. Um the 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 or Le, I think it's Labricia. She's like, that is a beautiful story. Misha, who's now running for president of her council, she's like, How did you get residents involved and engaged? What did you do? I just did. I think that's what it was. You know, I I show with my actions. Um I was mentoring children every week 
um, I would pull out my speakers and throw a, a, almost like a block party every weekend, just engaging the children. Um, I did my own events. I knocked on all the doors. I took every training. So I, I, I really led by example. And I would never ask somebody to do something that I wouldn't do myself. You know, I was doing security for the elderly. You know, if they needed something, I was there to help them move. So I was really, by all means, in the community, engaged in the community. And so people knew me for what I was doing. So it wasn't a stretch to ask um, for their support or, or, or get them engaged and involved. And, you know, and we still didn't get the full involvement of everybody that we wanted. I mean, you know, still trying to get people to change their mindsets is a, is a struggle. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, um, I guess the, the, you know, we're at the end of the show, but it was really about the, the case or the case of the invisible black men, you know, why are more black men not in these housing authorities one in one with these women holding it down together, like one love. Why is it that they have to be off the radar on the uh, off the lease yeah i know they're not married and housing won't put them on the lease unless you are married but it's like why can't we you know there's so many issues and it's compounded that you know some of the men was like yo you know what's up i mean and he's a prime example prime example that not only are there good men because let me also say this i think a lot of us we we got our little fairy tales mixed up because here, here he has 13 kids. And let's say he walked up on one of y'all. Now, I'm going to tell you, Lashaney is a very nice looking man and he can sing. So all he had to do is go out there <laughs> on the microphone and sing a tune. And the women probably throwing their stuff, throwing their little panties at him or whatever, acting crazy because he has that effect on people. And I'm not saying that that ever happened. That did not happen. But I'm crazy. <laughs> um, and it's late. But what I'm saying is, if you met a man with, who told you you he had 13 kids, would you automatically be like, uh-uh, he ain't doing that? But you're going to be saying no to a man that loved God, a man that loved his community, a man that loved his family, a provider, a businessman, a councilman. So we might want to put, like, just have no judgment, take down our, 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 our I don't know if it's, our wish list, you know, like he got other baby mamas. He got baby mamas, you know, he told you. But would you, you know what I'm saying? So I just look at it like if you, and let me, what's up, the shady and what is it that you just, you haven't found that right one? You know what? I, uh, I'm i sorry that I guess I came on the back end of the show because I literally was waiting for this time. Like, yo, I got to get on this podcast and I must have had the time zone differences mixed up and it wasn't oh, on my calendar zone. properly. Um, and so I apologize for that, you all. I'm, I'm in Texas, so I'm on Central Standard Time. Um, so it's 7.13 in your world. So you were on yes. time in your world. Right, See, right. On that? That's so, what I be talking about. Like Just those little nuances um, yeah. of Central Standard Time. I totally forgot about that because I would have told yeah. you to make sure you on a six. Right. But I do want to, I guess, I guess I'm here. Um, you know, it's systemic, right? It's systemic why the black men and the black women 
are not in their household together. And, you know, it gets deeper. It's so systemic, right? Because if we can separate the black family, then we can have our way with the women and we can enslave their men and we can have our way with their children and we can guide them the way that we want to guide them because this system is, 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 is run off of the economics of, of black slavery. Um, we talk about police brutality and why police brutality is a constant. And we talk about us being in a pandemic and unemployment at an all-time high, yet you can shoot an unarmed Jacob Blake in the back seven times and spur tourism because there's an economic driver to black lives. Dead or alive, you are valuable. And in order for us to keep this system of slavery um, running, then we have to separate this powerful black family. And so in order for black women to keep housing, you have to put your your father is on child support. It's men, it's mandatory for me yeah. to get into housing. They wanted me to have a form from the attorney general showing that either my, the children of my mother, uh, the mothers of my children were on child support or something or another. And so when you have that kind of separation, wow. so when you do that, the fathers of your children are like, yo, you know that I'm struggling. You know that I'm dealing with such and such. Why would you go do this? And so you further put a wedge in between an already broken relationship. Otherwise, you guys would be married or together or whatever. And so it's systemic the way they separate these families. And now that you're separate, now that you're separate and mom has to go to work, well, who's, who's raising your children? Mm -hmm. And so that's how we start attacking the children. And that's how we start cycling them into that school to prison pipeline. And the cycle continues. And so understand that the system is much bigger. It's created. And they don't call it projects for, for no reason. Mm. There is a system, there's a project that they're working toward an end goal and an end game. And we just have to be mindful uh, of who we're up against and what we're up against. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said that earlier, I said, if we could just really realize who the enemy is, who the adversary is, what is it, then we can probably start to even think more strategically on how to get out, how to outwit outsmart outrun outdo like what standards must we lift in ourselves to be able to sub succumb this adversary um because that it ultimately i don't think you can write a thousand resumes you can't get a thousand jobs ultimately it's going to be a standard and i think that that's something that's very prevalent across all stories today is i chose I chose because of what I believe, or I chose. Harriet says she chose not to take her fathers to court. If we just make these decisions, you know, Tommy, you might have to choose to to just leave. You know what I'm saying? Just so you can be free because mm-hmm. there's, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but we, we, we shouldn't be in bondage to this thing. He did not give us a blessing to be in bondage to the blessing. Mm-hmm. And for some people, you know, you got to find out what is that thing. Maybe I need to walk out. Maybe I need to re- relinquish my voucher. Me and God, if we got to do a room in a house somewhere, it's a safe room in a nice house that I'm proud to call my own. You know what I'm saying? We have to kind of just, because you, you, we can't just stay here. We can't stay here. And if you haven't noticed, public housing is changing all by itself. Yeah. Um, and if we don't, come up with a plan they don't care if you are homeless they will just get more shelters and who would want to bring their children up in a shelter and so you know i i hope that we can continue the conversation um 
because you know you heard it from a black man himself it's systemic meaning it's not something that one person can fix it's a it's an individual choice it's an individual agenda a strategic plan that each family has to create but i promise you if we address this stuff in us we can address and we'll probably drown not drown but starve and thirst out those systems that depend on us to stay salt in these situations because i promise if if we just if everybody relinquished their voucher if everybody say the hell with the food stands i'll just grow my own fruit you would just collapse the whole damn economy Mm -hmm. if we stop calling the police and deal with our own stuff and, and manage emotional intelligence and, and get our heart in control and forgiveness and love, you'll put the cops out of business. And really all of these systems manage the flesh. That's all it really does is manage the different parts of the flesh that get out of control. And so I'm like, I don't wanna give nobody that control. That's just too much control. I'm gonna just mind my damn business. I'm gonna repent when I gotta repent. I'm gonna apologize when I gotta apologize. I'm gonna shut my damn mouth when I gotta shut up. I'm a fight when I got to fight in the right way to, I'm not, I'm not going, I just, I'm not getting arrested. I'm not doing jail. I'm not going to jail. Um, and it doesn't mean that that will stop anything. Cause these cops are straight crazy. I think they, they, they're traumatized or they got some mental health issues or they part of the damn clan. Something. Right. I think they part of the clan. If you ask me. Um, but what if you, we just didn't call them. We just, we just came out of the system altogether. And I just think that this time, God is just unveiling, exposing, but we better be ready to make a decision. Yeah. We're going to have to make a decision mm-hmm. sooner than later. And I remember I said, Lord, for you, I live, for you, I die. If it means me and you in a tent in the park with my kids, that's where we're going to be. And that was all my, my resolve. So I was never afraid to lose housing. I was never afraid to be evicted. I'll sleep in my car if I had to. We was just going to do this hell, sleet, snow. It didn't matter. This wasn't stopping. And it just seemed like grace would show up, right? At that, right at that last moment, right when you ain't have nothing else left, it would just show up. And I think that, you know, learn what the real enemy is, at least, like Lashanian said. Any parting words, Lashani? Any parting words for the ladies? Yeah, I just want, I just want, I just want the black women to know that we, uh, that we are here. We're not invisible. You're not invisible. Uh, I love you, black woman. Um, and there are, there are lots of us that love you. And um, mm-hmm. it's, it is a struggle understanding that, um, you know, we have to go out and fight the system. We have to go out and fight white supremacy. We have to go out and fight other brothers that look like us. We have to sometimes mm-hmm. come in and fight, you know, fight the women that don't know all of the fights that we have every day. And then we have to come in and fight because you don't know that we're fighting for you. You know, when I see the invisible black man, it's like, you know, why you don't see me? Mm-hmm. Why you don't see me? And I'm out here fighting every day. Um, and so just know that you are love, you are cherished. And uh, I don't know what else we got to do to be seen, but, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be invisible my whole life. Amen. That's good. That's powerful. And it was a, it was a tagline that, you know, the girls, the ladies came up with last week because they felt 
like they were invisible, like you guys weren't there, but you're saying, how can you not see us? Right. That's deep. I told you we need a damn therapist on the show. <laughs> I need you well, y'all, y'all probably y'all probably know where my therapy lie at. Huh? Amen. I know that's right. Amen. <laughs> I know that's right. Like, hey, I mean, seriously. So what I want to do is really quick shout out to the McKinney Housing Authority, um, Miss Rosalind Miller. Shout out to the Jacksonville Housing Authority, Miss Rhonda Lattimore, the director of resident services. I know that Jacksonville recently got the Jobs Plus grant and that was a lot, a lot of work. Um, and so Arnise, do you know, what is the name of the community that will be privy to, what is it, $2 million plus dollars? Yes, it's called Southwind Villas. Southwind Villas, okay. Yes. So it's one of the largest so communities you have. Yes, ma'am. It's one of the largest. And um, the way that it's going to be set up, it, it's going to really be a fantastic venture. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm excited because it's going to give more residents the opportunity to work and not be concerned about how much money they're making because they're going to have to, if their rent's going to be increased and things of that nature. And by being a four-year program, it's, it's really going to give um, a variety of families the opportunity to position themselves in a positive manner. And sometimes when, I don't think people understand what that means. So Jobs Plus programs, they it's called Earned Income Disallowance. It's a thing that HUD will allow your rent to not be counted for sometimes in a re regular world, the first year, 100% is not counted. The second year, only 50% is counted. And then the third year, all your rent is counted and all your income is counted. And with this new Jobs Plus, I believe every person in that community who is enrolled and actively pursuing upward mobility will have all of their rent disallowed for four years. Yes. That means shame on those people that will take their rent and go splurge it. Mm. I'm taking my rent and I'm saving it. Yes, ma'am. I'm opening up some type of savings account. I'm seeing if I can get a match savings account. I'm working on credit. I'm doing all of those things. Um, who is that? Okay. So, um, but shout out. I'm, I'm looking forward to working. Um, we've done work in the past with McKinney, for sure. Um, Rosalind's a big advocate of ours and we're a big, big advocate of hers. Um, I'm glad that Lashanian is no longer there, but he has a story. So I hope that we'll be able to take parts of this clip, The Invisible Black Man. And I actually wanna take that clip and say, especially the powerful part where you said, how can you not see us? We are here fighting every day. That is so powerful. I don't know what next show should be about. What do you think we should be, like, where do we go from here? We talked about this and you pretty much nailed it, Lashani. And you said, how can you not see me? I don't want to be invisible forever, but how can you not see me out here fighting every day? 
hell, you see me when I get shot by the white cops, but how you don't see me every day? Mm. That is so powerful. Um, but where do we go from here? Because this is one of those series that, you know, I don't want to pre-plan something like I have all of this stuff figured out in my head. I really want to be, you know, flexible, open. Oh, I, I think, I mean, I, I think they're, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how you transition that, but when there needs to be more conversation, obviously, you know, you have your women and bonding and women group and you have your men's and bonding and, and we do things, but we need to figure out and get back to, to bonding together. We need to get back to that onk life. We need to get back to the power of the black man and the black woman working together. It's, it's so much separatism. It's so much, you know, independence. And I think that, you know, half of that, again, is a system set up to separate us. I remember there was a, a year of just separating women. It was the little Boosie, I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D. Then you had Neo, Miss Independent. And women became so overly independent that even when we were there, they didn't want us to be there. Mm. open a door mm. for a woman I could open my own door you know what I'm saying mm. like, okay I know you could open the door I'm not saying baby that you're incapable of opening the door I'm just trying to be a man let me mm. be me you know what I mean so I think we need to figure out how do we begin to start working together again not to take away yeah. from your power not to take away from my power but we are more powerful together and, and how do we start having those conversations about working together? There's nothing wrong with women's conferences. There's nothing wrong with men conferences. But when can we start having family conferences? When can we start working together and unifying each other? That's good. Amen. Yeah, I would like that. You know, I got to find a nice little marketing tagline. I got to find out how to do that. And somebody said, um, the Brett, the Labricia said, um, she was like, we see you, Black man. She's like, this webinar was the most authentic webinar I have ever been on. So that that is so cool. Peace and, and power, tell her, I, I am because you are. Uh, I am nothing alone. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, all power to the people. Amen. Lashani is a good Black man. Shout out to all the Black men out there. We love you. Obviously, we love you. We be having all these babies by y'all. <laughs> we love y'all and we say peace and blessings um we are definitely at our time tonight but um would join us next sunday well, i'm already on sunday next tuesday at seven o'clock be sure to um like us on facebook like us um on instagram at cannot live podcast and share this with your friends. And even if you have to speed it up to the part where Lashadian went in, since it was about the invisible black man, and he's like, you know, I don't want to be invisible. Um, we don't know what next show is going to be like, but if it can only just continue the conversation like today, that would be great. So I thank you guys for joining us today. Today was wonderful. I don't know about you, but I feel a little lighter in terms of it was heavy yet last week. This week started out heavy too, but the Shady and you and Harry and, and all of you guys' stories are niece. You know, you guys have come and I think we overcome through the power of, of what's working. Because we always hear what's not working. Maybe we should just talk about more what is working um, yes. here on the HUD Housewives of America. It's not all bad. 
It's not all bad. So you guys, I thank you. I love you guys. Lashania will be in contact. Maybe join us next week if I can figure out what we're doing. If you guys have any ideas, a show topic to, to send us, you can email podcast at canilive.org. Uh, tell Rhonda, tell Rosalind, I said hello. And you guys have a good night. Good night. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Yes, good night. Good show, you guys. Good night. Good night.